0: You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported.
1: Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting remotely for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones.
2: And I'm Lucinda Larnock. This is the WFHB Local News for Thursday, April 8th, 2021.
3: The report warns that a return to pre-Trump era policies is not enough to protect health.
1: Later in the program, we have the latest edition of our podcast, Prescription for Healthcare, a monthly segment dedicated to increasing the understanding of healthcare issues for the WFHB listening community through interviews with and commentary from medical and community experts. More coming up in today's feature report.
2: Also coming up in the next half hour, the Monroe County Board of Health made changes to the local COVID-19 regulations. More in today's headlines. But first, your local news brief. From WFHB,
0: this is the local news brief for Thursday, April 8th. I'm Jake Jacobson positive COVID-19 cases continue to trend upward in Indiana. Today, the Indiana State Department of Health reported over 1,000 new positive cases for the fifth time in seven days. Lawrence County reported 11 new positive cases yesterday, breaking double-digit numbers for the first time since February 8th. Monroe County continues to average around 30 new cases per day as well. All Hoosiers ages 16 and older can sign up to receive their COVID-19 vaccine. You can sign up online by visiting OurShot.in.gov, over the phone by calling 211 for assistance, or by contacting one of Indiana's area agencies on aging. New Leaf New Life is hosting an information session on Indiana expungement law this Saturday. New Leaf New Life is teaming up with representatives from Indiana Legal Services' Expungement Help Desk to educate Hoosiers on how to seal certain arrest and conviction records. The information session will be hosted on Zoom this Saturday, April 10th, starting at 11 a.m. You can find more information, including the Zoom link, on New Leaf-New Life's Facebook page. The Indiana State Police approved the transfer of two new state troopers to the listening area this week. Senior Trooper Kent Rolfing and Trooper Ian Portis, both Indiana natives, will join the district that includes Brown, Lawrence, and Monroe counties. Portis, a K-9 handler, will be joined by his German shepherd named Czar. That's all for your local news brief. From WFHB, I'm Jake Jacobson.
2: The Monroe County Board of Health discussed changes to the COVID-19 regulations at their April sixth meeting. Monroe County Health Administrator Penny Cordill recommended university communal living return to 90% capacity in the fall. Board member Carol Talukian mentioned houses must apply for an exemption. I would rather
4: see it. I don't have any problem with it if they actually really are 100% vaccinated, expanding to 90%. But I would like to see it as that they'd need to apply for an exemption from the 75% rule as opposed to making it a standard.
2: Cordell said regulations would last until May 28th, unless extended or rescinded.
1: The Bloomington City Council discussed redevelopment of the warehouse near Switchyard Park. At the April 7th meeting, Councilmember Matt Flaherty motioned to introduce Ordinance 21-07. The ordinance would allow Tom Tom Brennan to redevelop his two-thirds of the warehouse at 300 West Hillside Drive. Architect Doug Bruce said the land near Switchyard Park is perfect for this kind of housing development. Uh,
0: This is the type of development that we need. This is uh, certainly not set up to be student housing. This is set up in a place where people can walk to work Families can live next to the park. And again, it's not sprawl. It's it's taking a site that's underutilized and again needs to uh, meeting that housing study. We need more density in our city. And there isn't a better place to put that kind of, of housing in a project than next to one of the largest transportation spines that we have running through our city, which is the Beeline Trail.
1: Michael McBride spoke on behalf of Storage Express, which owns the other third of the property. He said that while some of his concerns have been addressed, he is still unsure if two-thirds of the warehouse can be
0: safely demolished. Uh, my client was the general contractor uh, for the build-out for his building, and he has legitimate concerns with that knowledge about the feasibility of demolishing two-thirds of this building and leaving the remaining one-third based on the structure of the walls, um, potentials for shared utilities, pipes, electricity. And we have not seen any structural engineer report at this point showing exactly what would be done. Um, Now it would seem if we're basing on having a structure that is going to demolish, you know, two thirds of the building and having these seven additional buildings built now would seem to be the time to make sure this can be done.
1: Elizabeth Cox-Ash, a resident in the area, expressed concern that a future property owner won't build affordable housing. Councilmember Isabel Piedmont-Smith clarified affordable housing is required under the ordinance.
4: I do um, want to emphasize that uh, Ms. Cox-Ash said that uh, we think we're getting affordable housing, but maybe we won't. Um, actually, we are requiring that there be affordable housing as a part of this petition, and that will uh, be a requirement regardless of who owns the property in the future uh, if Mr. Brennan will uh, would decide to sell it.
1: The City Council voted unanimously to adopt Ordinance 21-07.
2: now it's time for your feature reports up first we have the april edition of prescription for healthcare a podcast collaboration with medicare for all indiana hosts rob stone and karen greenstone bring on expert sources to talk about all things healthcare today's guest is steffi Woodhandler, a practicing primary care physician and distinguished professor of public health and health policy in the suny school of public health at hunter college Prescription Healthcare airs on the first Thursday of each month on WFHB Community Radio. It's also available wherever you find your podcasts.
3: From Bloomington, Indiana, welcome to Prescription for Healthcare, sponsored by Medicare for All Indiana on WFHB Community Radio. I'm Karen Greenstone, along with Dr. Rob Stone. Hello. Our guest today is Dr. Steffi Woolhandler. She is co-founder of Physicians for a National Health Program and is a distinguished professor, School of Urban Public Health, City College of New York Hunter College, and on the faculty of Harvard Medical School. She is a member of the Lancet Commission on Public Policy and Health in the Trump era. Welcome to our show, Dr. Woolhandler. Well, it's my pleasure. Thank you, thank you. Convened shortly after President Trump's inauguration in 2017, the Lancet Commission on Public Policy and Health in the Trump era offers the first comprehensive assessment of the detrimental legislation and executive actions during Trump's presidency with devastating effects on every aspect of health in the USA. The Lancet Commission traces the decades of policy failures that preceded and fueled Trump's ascent and left the USA lagging behind other high-income nations on life expectancy. The report warns that a return to pre-Trump era policies is not enough to protect health. Instead, sweeping reforms are needed to redress long-standing racism, weaken social safety nets, health safety nets that have deepened inequality and calls on the important role of health professionals in advocating for healthcare reform in the USA. The sections include the missing Americans, white supremacy and the history of racism in the USA, the assault on immigrants, the modern opioid epidemic, slowing the progress towards universal healthcare, food, nutrition and public health, the environment, workplace and global climate, reproductive rights under threat, and globalizing harm, mobilizing for change. So, Dr. Woolhandler, declining life expectancy in the US has diverged from other wealthy nations since 1980, despite continuous economic growth. The Lancet report states that people are willing to risk long lasting damage to their own health and well being because they believe people of color disproportionately benefit from the expansions of public health and social safety nets. The report also looks at the opioid crisis, something we in Indiana, in Scott County in 2014, where there was a cluster of HIV infections among people injecting drugs. Will you please explain to us how this report looks at the reasons for declining life expectancy? Okay.
4: Well, around 1980, the United States life expectancy was middle of the pack among the world's wealthiest nations. Since that time, life expectancy has risen much more rapidly in other wealthy capitalist nations than it has risen in the United States. And over the past 10 years, life expectancy has really stagnated in the United States, rising a tiny bit, and in some years, four of the last years, actually falling. And that's really unprecedented. The last time there was even a two-year fall in life expectancy was at the end of world war 1 when we had the flu pandemic so the twin catastrophes of a world war and flu was the last time in us history that we saw declining life expectancy so this predated trump it represented a real crisis in health of the american people the other thing that has been happening since 1980 is that inequality has been increasing, mostly inequality between the rich and the poor. And as inequality increased, the inequality in income and wealth increased, the inequality in life expectancy was also increasing. So that the poorer half of the population saw their own life expectancy fall further and further behind that of the richest half of the population. Now, many people, including, I guess, Ann Case and Angus Deaton rather famously, have been talking about the crisis in U.S. longevity as a problem of deaths of despair. So deaths from things like opioid use, other fatal substance use like alcoholism, and suicide that has disproportionately been affecting our white working class population. And one of the things that we saw in the Lancet Commission is that precisely those counties in the United States that had had the worst experience in terms of their economy and in terms of their life expectancy, those counties were precisely the ones who voted for Trump in 2016. So we like to say that the politics of despair, the deaths of despair has turned into a politics of despair. Folks whose life expectations have declined, their life expectancy has declined, have tended to switch over to voting for Trump. And of course, these are the areas of the United States that have suffered deindustrialization, the loss of high-paying manufacturing jobs, where people lose those high-paying jobs, and yet there's no social safety net to cushion their loss of those high paying jobs. So we have an ongoing crisis in health in the United States reflected in our low life expectancy. And in the last years before the COVID pandemic, the average American could expect to live 3.4 years less than the average person in one of the other wealthy nations and that's the health crisis and the political crisis we believe gave rise to Trump and his politics
0: that's pretty stunning
4: and then yeah. covid on top of that well there's covid on top of that but let me back up a little bit and talk about the role of racism not all countries have the kind of racism that we have in the United States but the folks who were widening inequality who were transferring income and wealth from the poorer half of Americans to the richer half since 1980 have really mobilized racism in the United States to do that. One of the reasons that many white working-class voters oppose a social safety net is because they've been misled by politicians to believe that the main beneficiaries of a social safety net are people unlike them, who are people of color, Black people are more recently immigrants. And as long as people believe this, believe politicians such as Reagan or Trump who tell them that social programs primarily benefit racial minorities, you have a situation where a lot of low-income white people vote against their own self-interest in terms of voting for politicians who would further cut the social safety net. So this was the world that existed before Trump. Trump very cynically exploited uh, white working class dissatisfaction, played up racism, gave permission to people to interpret the world through a racist lens, and that allowed him to become president. And life expectancy continued to fall during his presidency, went down a couple of years, up a year, but was still quite stagnant during his presidency until COVID-19 hit, and COVID-19 has had a disproportionate effect on lower-income people, many of them minorities, but lower-income people generally, and Trump did not cause COVID-19 any more than he could have caused an earthquake, but what he did cause was for the United States to be completely unprepared for the pandemic. Once the pandemic hit for the United States to respond really tepidly and impotently toward the pandemic and led to a tremendous unnecessary loss of life. So the Lancet Commission chose again to compare the death rates in the United States, in this case from COVID, to the death rates in other wealthy nations, the so-called Group of Seven, other wealthy capitalist nations. And many of them didn't do so great, right? This includes France and Italy and the UK who didn't do all that great themselves as well as other nations like Germany, Japan and Canada that did significantly better. But even compared to the relatively poor performance of many of these other developed nations, COVID death rates in the United States exceeded the average of other wealthy nations by more than 65%, meaning that death rates in the United States in 2020 were about 160,000 higher than they would have been if the U.S. had just achieved the average. So we believe that Trump was a major factor in the excess death rates in the United States. Now, I mentioned that he had undermined pandemic preparedness. Early in his administration, there was a government shutdown that froze hiring at the CDC, the major federal disease fighting agency, the CDC. They froze hiring, leaving 700 positions vacant. Trump denounced science and scientists, called them part of the swamp, so demoralizing our scientific workforce that 1,600 Scientist government scientist positions were left vacant during the Trump administration, including nearly half of all key science policy positions. Trump abolished the pandemic preparedness office of the National Security Council, a cabinet level group that was supposed to prepare us for pandemics. So there was a tremendous weakening and demoralization of our public health workforce. When the CDC had to pull their officer out of China, the CDC had for years kept a public health officer in China just to be a liaison with the Chinese scientists and Chinese disease fighting agencies. But of course, Trump pulled that out. Once the pandemic hit, Trump repeatedly downplayed it. He pretended it was some sort of racialized issue, calling it the Kung flu or the China virus trying to blame China for what was in fact a worldwide pandemic, said things like, oh, it's just going to disappear. There's 15 cases. Soon there'll be zero. It's no worse than the flu. Politicized public health measures, simple public health measures like physical distancing when possible, mask wearing, said those were signs of weakness, that it was a democratic hoax, And consequently, a large share of the population was very slow to realize that this is a serious threat. And unfortunately, we still see people, often fairly poorly educated people, who believe that COVID-19 is not a threat. They shouldn't bother getting the vaccines or masking. But he held all sorts of political events where people didn't even wear masks. Where people are handshaking and hugging each other before vaccinations came around, and really was a vector, if you will, for misinformation about just how serious this threat was, what the simple measures were that could have contained it early, and consequently was really personally responsible for uh, at least 40% of the overall mortality last year. As I said, about 160,000 people who are dead who would otherwise be alive if Trump had handled this at just the average level for developed nations.
3: Thank you to Dr. Steffi Woolhandler. This concludes part one of our interview with Dr. Steffi Woolhandler. Part two of our interview will be aired on Thursday, May 13th, as a feature of the Daily Local News on WFHB Community Radio. This is Karen Greenstone and Dr. Rob Stone for Prescription for Healthcare, sponsored by Medicare for All Indiana. To your good health, everyone, and please continue to wear a mask in public.
1: Up next, we have a classic edition of Better Beware, your weekly consumer watchdog segment, hosted and produced by our very own Richard Fish.
4: Welcome to Better Beware. Here's your consumer watchdog from WFHB Community Radio with the latest information and helpful hints designed to keep your head out of the clouds, your feet on the ground, and your money in your pocket.
5: Well, well, how do you tell? I mean, how do you know for sure? How do you ever really know? The Fireside Theater, as usual, could not have said it better. We're always trying to figure out what the truth is, especially when we have to make choices or make decisions. Of course, the best way is to do your own research. Find the facts, look at them, and then make up your own mind. That's the best way, all right. But it is extra trouble, and it can take a lot of time. It's a whole lot faster and easier to just latch on to someone else's opinion which can be very dangerous, if you trust the wrong person. But we all do it, and opinions can be useful if—and it's a big if—if they meet two criteria. First, opinions should come from someone you know personally well enough to know how trustworthy they are. Opinions from anyone you've never met should be taken with a grain of salt unless you check them by finding the facts yourself. And second— Those views should be theirs, based on that person's own experience, not something that happened to or was said by someone else. Suppose you want to find a contractor to fix your roof, and you ask some friends. One says, I hired Bill Smith, and he did a great job. Another says, I hired Joe Jones, and he did a lousy job. And a third says, I heard Joe Jones was pretty good. Who you gonna call online expert tests and reviews can offer opinions but the good ones also offer facts facts based on their own direct experience you can tell what they think is important even though you never met the reviewer consumer reviews opinions are all over the internet these days And there are websites like Yelp and Angie's List which specialize in offering you lots of opinions about products and places from people you don't know. Get out your salt shaker for those. All too many are fakes, planted by people who stand to make money on the deal. Sometimes though, you have to choose among opinions. You have to check what they say against what is known for certain. That can easily be even harder and riskier than forming your own opinions. As author Robert Heinlein put it, What are the facts? Again and again and again, what are the facts? Shun wishful thinking, ignore divine revelation, forget what the stars foretell, avoid opinion, care not what the neighbors think, never mind the unguessable verdict of history, what are the facts and to how many decimal places? You pilot always into an unknown future. Facts are your single clue. Get the facts. End of quotation. I'm Richard Fish for WFHB News and Public Affairs.
1: been listening to the wfhb local news today's headlines were written by jake jacobson and sydney foreman in partnership with cats community access television services our feature was produced by dr rob stone and karen greenstone with help from kade young
2: better beware is produced by richard fish our theme music is provided by mark bingham and the social climbers our engineer and executive producer is kade young for wfhb i'm lucinda larnock
1: And I'm Benedict Jones. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast at wfhb.org.
2: The WFHB Local News is also available as a podcast. Just search our call letters WFHB wherever you find your podcasts. Subscribe and never miss another local news program.
1: Stay tuned for Big Talk with Michael Glab. Coming up next on WFHB. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio.